Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pisando la pelota Nelson, a la media vuelta se vuelve a marchar Nelson, Martinelli con la pelota, el recorte de Martinelli, segundo tanto de Martinelli, segundo gol de Gabriel Martinelli. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always with James from Gonna Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too. Happy Interlal. Happy Interlal to you as well. Before we came on air, we were... We were sort of chatting um, warily about where this podcast might go and where it might take us, but all we can do is our best with what little we have, and there is very little out there at the moment. Yeah. I'll tell you what I've been reading about this morning. I've been reading about Nico Yanaris. Are you aware of this story? He's become Chinese. Someone else. Yeah, yeah. He's become Chinese, and his name is like... Oh, no, sorry, his name is like, his name is Lee Ke. Right. Lee Ke, yeah, he's changed his name, he's Chinese, he plays for China now. That is kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I think he does have a link to China. I seem to remember he was one of these players who was eligible to play for about six countries. I think Yanaris is a Greek name. I think his mum might be of Chinese origin. But, yeah, they, they are going through a process of sort of naturalising players uh, very rapidly in order to improve their World Cup chances. I'm just looking here. Yeah, there's a piece in the Times. Um, the, this uh, paragraph, Lee qualifies to play for China through his maternal grandmother, who came to London from Guangdong. I'm probably saying that completely wrong. Apologies to any Chinese listeners out there, uh, which is a province in the southeast of the country. As China does not recognize recognize dual nationality, he's had to give up his British citizenship. So China basically are just doing what Ireland did for years. They just take yeah. anyone who's got a grandmother who's Irish. Like you think of all the players, Ray Houghton, John Aldridge, lots of the Andy Townsend. All of these guys who qualified through uh, either a parent or a grandparent to play for the Republic of Ireland, despite the fact they were born in the UK, which, of course, is not uncommon for, for people of Irish extraction to be born over there, as you know, I can testify. So mm-hmm. very interesting, though. It's, it's, quite the, it's quite the leap, isn't it? Because he was playing for Brentford, Nico Yanaris, ex-Nico Yanaris. The artist formerly known as Nico Yanaris. Uh, he was playing at Brentford. I think he moved to China in the summer. And, yeah, now he's an international star. Uh, mm. I think, you know, he's, he's been very well received. There. He's the poster boy, really. So quite an amazing story. Uh, I, I think they are uh, nas- nationalising. Is that the word? Mm. I've forgotten what the word is. Uh, adopting 
um, people who don't necessarily have Chinese heritage, like a lot of Brazilians, but I presume they'll have been there long enough to qualify mm. must be the way it's happening, the playing in the league. Out there. <laughs> I um, like this bit where he's being uh, helped to adapt to local cuisine by a teammate whose wife speaks English. And he says, he always tells me it's chicken. I say, it's definitely not chicken. I ended up eating cow stomach, which was not for me, cow tongue, jellyfish and chicken foot, which is actually chicken. Oh, well, there you go. There it's you a go. bit of a chicken. It's a bit, uh, not the best bit of the chicken, but it's definitely a bit of a chicken. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never eaten it. Have you ever eaten it? Maybe it's delicious. Maybe we're all fools. Um, I, I remember when I lived in Spain, they used to sell chicken's feet in the supermarket. So you go along and, you know, where they would have like prepackaged meat and you get burgers and pork and steaks mm. and stuff. And mm. they used to, in one of the supermarkets nearby, they would have chicken's feet but I was never tempted okay never I wonder what people were doing with them in Spain putting them in a stew maybe putting them in a stew maybe making stock out of them maybe I don't know deep frying them covering them in some crunchy delicious batter and then like crisps yeah yeah. serve them before a meal yeah yeah little little uh, crispy hors d'oeuvres so, as you can imagine, when I saw that about Nico Yanaris, I was, like, delighted. Well, that'll be five minutes of the podcast. Um, four minutes, ten seconds. We haven't even right. got five minutes. <laughs> He's under-delivered. <laughs> oh, well, what can you do? Um, yeah, it has been uh, quite an interlully interlull, hasn't it? Although there were some things last week which kind of kept us occupied since the last time we spoke. But as the as the interlull has gone on, the, um, the Arsenal news has, has dwindled, diminished to almost... Nothing, which I guess is to be Yeah, I I do wonder to what extent that's to do with the fact that people are a bit sort of fatigued of maybe the team's performances and there's almost a willingness to step away from supporters. You know, it's Mm. not there's not quite the sort of fervid pursuit of what our players are up to on international duty you get when things are going really well. Um, but quite a few things have happened. I've I've seen Arsene Wenger since I last spoke to you. Yes, that's right. You uh, you posted some pictures. You were at that event last week. I did enjoy all the people who thought, hang on a minute, James is really quite tall. What's going yeah. on here? Everyone thinks predictable response. Everyone thinks he must be, what, five foot two or something. Uh, I don't quite yeah. get what this is. The voice of a small man. Or they just think that I'm sort of a small man who lives in your mind, maybe. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I live inside your head. Yeah, a projection of uh, yeah, a projection of my my inner self or some your kind of nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I think I could no, do I, better if if that was the case. In fairness, no offense. Just. No, that's all right. But I'm not as tall as Arsene Wenger. He is an exceptionally tall man, but looking very good. You know, what was his... it? What was it like? Um, you know, coming face to face with the old boss. Does he still have that kind of? That aura, that that sort of sense of this, like I told you, I've told this story before, where I was in a room where everybody was chatting, um, uh, everyone's having a great old time, everyone's having a laugh. Arsene Wenger walked in, and the place went. Yeah, and then he still has that. He has it in spades. You know, he he commands such authority, and he's able to do it in such a quiet way. It's very scary looking into the eyes of someone who you know is much cleverer than you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it really is, because, you know, you're like, everything you say, you know he's capable of pulling it apart or turning mm. it on its head. So, you know, and also, this man's a real 
hero, I suppose, to any Arsenal fan. So you don't want to make a fool of yourself. I mean, there is that concern, a bit like when I met Thierry Henry for the first time, that I might just, you know, just make a noise, really, rather than say any words, just sort of go... Yeah. Um, so that's probably there in the back of your mind. But uh, it, it was amazing to see him. And uh, to be honest, the event was sort of honouring him, really. It was for a good charity as well that do sort of music therapy. But it was amazing to see how many people turned up. I mean, this was on a, a weeknight, a Monday night in central London, and yet really the great and the good of anyone who's been associated with Arsenal in recent years were all there for him. And amazing to see the esteem in which he is held. And mm. I, I, I know it's only been... What has it been since he left Arsenal? I mean, a year and a bit, a year and a half, really. Um but I do feel like even that little period of time has really seen a bit of a, a sea change and, and sort of a, I'm not going to use the word redemption because I don't think he had anything to redeem, but I think a, a healing of any wounds that were caused you know, during those last few years of his reign seems to have taken place and people seem very willing to celebrate arson now. Time is a great healer. That's, yeah. you know, that's the thing. But of course, there are going to be people at, you know, the far end of that that spectrum who... who of course. You know, which is uh, prevalent throughout um, <laughs> all, all kind of aspects of life, I guess you would say. But yeah, look, you know, I think the the fact that so many people came out and some of the people who were there to pay tribute to him and um, I, I saw some... Were you in the actual event itself? No, no, no I'm not that important. You I'm, only got I to do the, a, the red carpet stuff and you weren't I allowed was on in. the red carpet, exactly. But I had spies on the inside who, you know, texted me updates. So if, that's oh, the closest I could get. If only you worked for an organisation <laughs> that had, you know, loads of money to throw around and could have got you a ticket at one of the tables. I only. Know. I'm sorry, I James, I should have dug deeper into the arse blog car for you there but you know I, I heard that the speech that he gave was was quite something he just stood up and and talked for 15 minutes no notes no anything he's always been an amazing speaker and somebody who who's who's great to listen to and obviously the big story this morning which I'm sure you've seen is that mm. he has a book coming out Arsene Wenger's autobiography is going to be published in autumn 2020 um and I think we've got a couple of questions about that, so we might wait till part two of the show. But that is definitely going to be an interesting book. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I think he said he wanted to do it in French first, didn't he? So it'll be interesting to see how that all... It's, it's coming out in French and English simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah, wow. yeah. Lovely. So, um, maybe yeah. I'll get both and, and brush up my skills like a sort of Rosetta Stone of Arsene Wenger. I think I'll just get the English one. <laughs> just make it a lot easier. Just quicker. Yeah, quicker. just quicker. Uh, I am really excited about that. I had four, about four minutes with Arsene and my list of questions at the bottom of the list was, what happened with Park Chu Young? But it just wasn't the time or the you place. You just didn't get there. You didn't get there. No. The book, I'm sure, will tell us because that's you know that's got to be a chapter on its own. Surely that's the most pressing concern. That'll be like the forward, I imagine. You know, well, that'll be. <laughs> it's got to be the, the headline chapter. Yeah, exactly. Who's doing the forward? Amari Bischoff is doing the, the forward. <laughs> Stefan Maltz, uh, uh, Part Chu Young, and I'm sure there are some others. Uh, yeah. that we could, we could talk yeah, about. and a few others. Yeah. Uh, that is going to be good. That is going to be good. Um, so, yeah, okay, we'll we'll touch on questions. Or actually, will we just do questions as we go along? Should we? You can, if you like. I think, I, uh, to I hell think, with the format. To hell with the format. Okay, well, we've got one from 
generational who's at adjust rankings who says, are you hopeful that Arson burns every motherfucker he needs to in the in the reported autobiography? Or do you unfortunately see him maintaining his class and decorum? I think he'll maintain his class and decorum, I'll be honest. Maybe one or two people will get a shot, but I feel like he's quite a measured guy, Arson, and I think he still wants to stay in the game in some capacity. It looks like it might be at FIFA, and I just think he'll be sort of better than that, really. Oh, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, probably. I, I tend to agree. But also, you know, over the years, I think he's he's taken, taken some flack mm. by protecting some people who didn't necessarily deserve to be protected, you know? I think even there are people who, who made his life difficult, who... You know, if he wanted to set the record straight in a few things, nobody would blame him. Would it be, would it be, you know, unreasonable for him to settle a score or two? You know, or is that petty? I don't, I don't think it is. But then you like, like imagine, for example, the the difficulty he might have with a situation like. Remember the whole um, Darren Dean selling off all our best players. Yeah. Becoming their agent and selling off all their best players, which I'm sure didn't really um, please Arson that well. But of course, his relationship with David Dean and his great friendship with David Dean might make it really difficult to to stick the boot in there. But at the same time, he could he could also he could also just tell his version of um, events. So. I think there might have to be a little bit of reading between the lines is what I'd imagine with Arsene. You know, he he's always been a bit like that. He will tell you mm. things without without telling you necessarily. There'll be the equivalent of the... Uh, the literary equivalent of the mischievous smile, I think, in, in a lot of it. Mm. I think there will be disguised barbs. I mean, what did you make of uh, Robin Van Persie playing quite a prominent role in this Arsene Wenger event? I think he was one of the guys who, who spoke a few words and presented with him an award and... He was certainly there on the red carpet. And a lot of fans, uh, certainly on my timeline, were like, what the hell is Van Persie doing there? Do you think that's all war under, war under the bridge? Or do you think he might be someone who hasn't had a few words to say about? I think as fans, we we take stuff like what happened with Van Persie. Um, I think it affects us more, perhaps, you know, for Wenger, it was another player in a long career who agitated for a move to a different club, something he has dealt with time and time and time again. And I'm sure um, he didn't necessarily view it as as personal, whereas his fans were going, oh, Van Persie, you're an asshole with your stupid letter and everything else and, and, and all that. So the way we view things and the way they view things are, are, often, are often very different. So... Um, it was a little bit of a surprise to see Van Persie front and centre in that, but I do wonder also if it has to do with the with the nascent broadcasting punditry career that Van Persie is embarking on and whether that mm. might have been, you know, some people behind the scenes getting him front and centre and getting people used to his face again and, and everything else. Like, you know... Did I think Arsene was going to turn around and give him a slap? Of course not. He's not going to do that. Would he might have preferred somebody else? I don't know. I can't say. I just think, you know, as fans, we we bear grudges and we hold grudges for far longer than people within the game themselves do, I think. Unless it's something particularly egregious or something, you know, that goes 
completely and utterly beyond the realms of what's acceptable for a, a professional footballer to do. And ultimately, Arsene Wenger decided to sell Robin Van Persie to Manchester United. He made that decision. He sanctioned that deal. He took the money and, um, you know, what happened, happened. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It would have been good if he had slapped him, though. That would have been pretty entertaining. Would have been like a big dust-up there yeah. on the red carpet. <laughs> like one of those one of those cartoon ones where all you can see is a cloud and like a an arm coming out, a lake coming legs. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been good. Because I saw Laren was there as well. Um, exactly. That's the backup you need yeah. in a scrap. Wenger and Laren versus Van Persie. That would have been, well, it would have been curtains for Van Persie, I'd say. Yeah. But, you know, we, we've got to put up with him now. Like you say, he's on, he's on BT Sport, so... <laughs> Uh, if you watch BT Sport, you brought it on yourself, really. They've got a horrible lineup of pundits, BT Sport. They do, don't they? Michael like Owen. Michael Owen, Robin Van Persie. Robbie Savage. Robbie Savage, Rio Ferdinand. It's, it's not, it's not yeah. the strongest. It's not great, actually, but do you know what? I got an email during the week. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, it is from um, May Mayroon who goes by the name of May. Okay. And they wanted to point out that they really enjoy John Hartson's commentary when Arsenal are playing in Europa League games because he's really quite positive uh, about Arsenal. Yeah, he is enjoyably biased, I think. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the- fair. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, you know. Um, he's sort of a throwback to the old days where, you know, the commentators would sort of side very obviously with the British team. I mean, obviously he's got a personal connection to Arsenal, but yeah, he is he is very uh, sort of subjectively favoured mm. towards us. And that's yeah. nice. Yeah, it is. So a uh, big, um, some chops for uh, for John Hartson there. He's, he's the anti-Stuart Robson. Yes, he definitely is. Who else was there that you spoke to? Anyone, anyone interesting? Oh, I spoke to lots of uh, interesting people. I was very fortunate. Lauren was there, Jens Lehmann, um, David Dean himself. Uh, trying to think, other players, Jack Wilshire. Um, had a brief chat with Carl Jenkinson. Um, I, I'm trying to think now. It was mainly people who aren't at the club right now, you know. Yeah. There were a few... Robert Pires was there, Freddie Jumberg was there, but they were keeping quite a low profile. Um, I saw Vinay. I didn't see Don Raul, but I imagine he probably mm. was there. Uh, like I say, I was very much on the fringes of this event, mm. uh, trying to sort of sneak in through the kitchen disguised, <laughs> disguised as a waiter. <laughs> Just my head under a cloche, you know. Yeah, yeah, popping yeah. Popping up at tables. Exactly. You would have been a bit like um, Leslie Nielsen in The Naked Gun or one of those It was very movies. much that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, just spilling some hot soup all over the Queen, <laughs> just scalding the face off the Queen or something. I did like Carl Jenkinson's uh, look on the night. He, he, had, he was wearing a boot the protective yeah. boot because he's injured at the moment. But I, I, I thoroughly uh, was into his like open shirt um, with the big wide lapels on it. He looked like something out of American Hustle. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the boot was a lovely compliment on the look as well. I did have a brief chat with uh, Jenkinson and he was really, as you can imagine, gutted about the, the Forest Cup game and mm. the fact that he'd missed that. I think... Uh, yeah, he was sort of very obviously down about that. So I, I hope he does get another opportunity to come back to the Emirates Stadium because he really is an absolutely massive 
Arsenal fan and that you know talking to him that was really evident so mm. uh, fingers crossed I mean surely in the course of his career that will come round again you'd like to think yes um, should we take a quick look at what some of our players have been doing while yeah, they're on do international duty this comes from the uh, the official Arsenal website um, we had five players in action over the weekend Nicolas Pepe scored in the Ivory Coast's 3-1 friendly win over the Democratic Republic of Congo um, so that's good. That's a goal for him. A good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very welcome thing for him. I, uh, I was just trying to see if I could see it, see the goal. Uh, Nicholas Pepe scored a back heel goal mm. for Ivory Coast. Little flicky thing. Oh, I see. Mm. Right. Uh, an assist from Wilfred Zaha was good I work. Good work from Zaha in the box, and Pepe oh, just yeah. sort of flicked it in. That is great work from Zaha, to be fair, mm. and a, a neat little finish. Uh, so that's Pepe. What else, who else has been? Lucas Torreira was also in international friendly action, playing the full 90 minutes in midfield uh, to help Uruguay beat Peru 1-0 in uh, Montevideo. Brian Rodriguez's 17th minute strike was enough to guarantee victory for the hosts. Torreira will be hoping to be in action again in the early hours of Wednesday morning when the two sides meet again. 2.30 a.m. UK time. That's really weird, isn't it? Playing Peru twice. That is unusual. Like, particularly uh, if it's a friendly, like, if it, you know, if it's two legs of a qualifier or something like that. It's strange that uh, they just say in midfield. They don't specify, you know, as the holding midfielder or as the guy playing in the six-yard box, running beyond the striker. Mm. Um, unclear. <laughs> well, well, the mystery remains. Okay. Uh, who else? Didn't Aubameyang score, I think, for Gabon? Um, I don't know. Did he? Well, that's what I was told by uh, by Amy Lawrence, but, you know, we know that she's... Yeah, this was a, this was uh, this was three days ago though. So they they already did the update on that. I see. Aubameyang returned for Gabon in perfect fashion as he dispatched an 84th minute penalty to help them edge past Burkina Faso. So that's there good. Go. Yeah, I did like Amy's there. piece in the Athletic um, about Aubameyang, and there was insight from Sven Mislintat mm. and, and what have you. And uh, did you come go. away from it feeling well, why isn't he captain? Because that's how yeah. I felt when I read it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd written about it and we talked about yeah, it on this yeah. podcast. I was quite um, quite behind the idea of, of making him captain. So, um, look, obviously, you and I, Emery, has gone in a different direction. And on such decisions, will he be judged um, between now and the end of the season? So let's get back to what's going on. Say, Kolasinac play the full 90 minutes. Uh, I like the way they put this in on the left of a back four as Bosnia and Herzegovina (laughs) with him they have specified the the precise position (laughs) the precise position Uh, they beat Finland 4-1 in a Euro 2020 qualifying game Um, what else Granit Xhaka's Switzerland lost to a late goal against Denmark in Copenhagen Um, I saw Kasper Schmeichel make a great save from Xhaka's shot actually Mm. it was you know um you know the way we say when a long shot, the keeper gets a touch on it and it sort of spoils the spoils yeah, the yeah, goal yeah. a little bit, spoils the aesthetic of the goal a little bit. Schmeichel save from Xhaka, he tipped the ball onto the bar and I think that makes it a better save. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Mm. Does he tip it onto the underside of the bar? Like where does it bounce out? It sort of bounces... Up, I think I have to. I'm going to have okay. to think up. But I, I watched it last night. It sort of bounced 
up and away to the to the goalkeeper's left a little bit. But it was a very good save. Shaka picked out the top corner. Schmeichel came across and just put a hand up and onto the bar and away. And I think that makes it a better save. So there you go. Um, mm. Switzerland are playing the Republic of Ireland on Tuesday. And I was um, cooking on Saturday afternoon and I had the Republic of Ireland or Georgia versus the Republic of Ireland game on in the background. And that wasn't good. That was not good. (laughs) That was not good. Ireland are leading their group, though, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Their results are Group leaders. So I I think if Ireland beat Switzerland on Tuesday, they'd qualified? I think. I think so. I don't know. Um, I thought I heard someone say that on the radio, that they've got a game against, I think, Denmark and also Switzerland. And if we win one of those games, then we qualify. Maybe we qualify for a qualifier or something. I don't quite know. Right, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But who knows? It pro- probably, knowing the way that these European qualifiers are going these days, you qualify for a qualifier to play in the Nations League. And if yeah. you get to the Nations League final, you then get to, I don't know, slay a mammoth. And if you if you do that, then you can qualify for Euro 2020. So, Okay. Well, I, I'd, I'd back up uh, 11 Irish footballers against a mammoth. Just well, about. Just. Uh, Danny Ceballos played 64 minutes for Spain uh, as they were held to a shock. Euro 2020 qualifying draw by Norway. Is, that's, is that really a shock? Is Norway it- are the coming nation. They've got some good young players they got some good young players. Seven consecutive, consecutive victories for Spain, but uh, Sal gave them the lead. Josh King converted from the spot in the fourth minute of stoppage time to um, to end Spain's winning run. Well, there you go. Mm. I uh, I mean, Danny Ceballos starting for Spain, he's doing well, isn't he, to be mm. a starting 11 player for them. Um, that bodes well for him, I suppose, and he must feel that this loan move is working out for him. Did you see his comments about Real Madrid... Uh, during the press conference of Spain? Yes. Yes, no, I did. No surprises there, really. No, not really. He said he's happy. And then he sort of weighed back in them and said that, you know, he wants to make it at Real Madrid. So he's kind of covering all his bases there, um, yeah. you know, which is fair enough. You know, you, you you take things that players say on international duty with with a bit of a pinch of salt, I think. Mm. Um, going back to Aubameyang, he was the uh, player of the month, Premier League player of the month. Scoring five times in September. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that. I think we, I think Arsenal voted Genduzi their player of the month. Well, Arsenal fans. Yeah. Mm. I think the Arsenal.com player of the month for September was Genduzi, but the Premier League player of the month for September was Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Well, I think the latter is probably more reflective of, of <laughs> you know, the contribution that, that he's made. And that's not to criticise Genduzi at all, who I think has been very good and one of those players who's who's been a positive for us. But when it comes right down to it, um, we have, uh, you know, we've got a, a fantastic goal scorer in Aubameyang. I have a question here, actually. Um, let me see if I can find it. It comes from the Gunnar Talk at the Gunnar Talk TV. And he says... With the news that Obama Yang is in talks for a new deal, after seeing how Ozil's bumper paycheck didn't have the desired impact to his contributions on the field, is the reluctance from some fans to once again go big on wages for one of our top players justified? I'll be honest, I haven't seen much reluctance. I, um, I don't know if that is a sentiment that is out there, but I haven't seen many people saying, oh, I don't think we should sign Obama Yang up, as far as I can tell. Most fans want that to happen. Mm. Um, 
do I think there's we're right to be concerned? I think yeah, I think it's fair to having having sort of gone down that road with Ozil and seen how that's played out, I think it is fair to question that. And I do wonder if that will be a factor in negotiations with Aubameyang, whether they will look to maybe structure the deal slightly differently or incentivise the player Mm. differently to give them a bit of protection. I think it's only natural that you would do that. Um, But I do think that he's a player we need to keep. And if that means giving him a new contract at this stage... I think so be it, because I almost think there's that get out with Aubameyang that if in a year's time you decide you don't want him or in two years' time, I feel like there will be clubs maybe in China or elsewhere who who would take him off your hands. I think he's got that pedigree and he's always going to score goals at a certain level. So Mm. I'm absolutely on board with giving him a, a new deal. You know, there's no question for me. What about you? Look, he's got... Less than two years left on his contract. You know, we're heading to a point where where in the summer he's got 12 months left on his contract. Mm. And that then becomes a thing. You know? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes an issue because people say, ooh, he's into the last year of his contract. Will he, won't he? It's a distraction. It's a distraction. So on a very basic level, if we're, if we're um, happy to keep him for a couple more seasons, then yes, we've got to give him a new deal. Should his new deal reflect his importance to the team? Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, you know, a, a, a top player at the very top of his game. He is, I won't say carrying the team, but he's hugely important to, to where we've got to this season in Premier League terms because of the goals that he's scoring. He's doing it without, you know, without the kind of um, creativity around him that you might like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't see any problem with giving him a new deal. Uh, I, I don't, I know people draw, um, Parallels between Ozil's new contract and the the apparent decline in his contributions. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a, a situation that will happen with every single player if you give them a new deal. Because um, mm-hmm. with Ozil, I I feel like it was a little bit different in the sense that. We gave him a new deal because Sanchez was going. And I don't think we could, as a club, be seen to lose the two players who who were very reflective of the club. When people thought about Arsenal, they thought Ozil and and Sanchez. We couldn't be seen to lose two players on basically free transfers, which Ozil would have been had he not signed that deal. We could have lost him on a free transfer. So I don't think the 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 circumstances were ideal when it came to Arsenal extending Ozil's deal. I think with with Aubameyang, what it is, is it is a, a reward for what he's done since he arrived. And and reflects his importance and and what he can still contribute, and I don't think we would be offering him a new deal. I don't think this current regime, if you like, the 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 Raoul led football side of Arsenal, would be offering him a new long term deal if they had doubts over over his ability to um, score goals for the next you know eighteen twenty four months at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. You know, so in one way, it's a it's a sign that they think he can still play at the top level for another couple of years. And if you have a year after that, then you've got some way of maybe recouping some some money from him. So I, I think it's very different from the Ozil thing. 
Yeah, and his age doesn't really concern me. I mean, apparently, speaking to people who've worked on the performance side at Arsenal, his numbers sort of aren't really declining as you would anticipate a player of that age to, you know, in terms of his, his physical capacity. He's 30 now, he'll be 31 next summer. Uh, he, I mean, that's not necessarily a cliff that he's going to fall off. I think he's got at least at least a couple of years in him of playing at something close to the current level. Uh, and if we want those years to be at Arsenal, we've got to give him a new contract. Mm. So it's kind of a no-brainer for me. I think we, we desperately need Aubameyang. Um, what did you make, by the way, we just touched on Mesut Ozil, of Raul Sanjay's comments about Mesut Ozil in the week at the fans' forum meeting? Did you think they were particularly noteworthy or just sort of playing a straight bat? kind of playing a straight bat you know this idea that it's not that he's not working well it's just that others are working better mm. like it it does hammer home the 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 idea that his selection is it all or his lack of selection rather is entirely based on on his commitment or work on the training ground or whatever yeah. is application yeah because it's not about talent it can't be about talent because there are a few players in this Arsenal squad who are who have more talent you know than than Mesut Ozil it's just one of those things that you know we get this we get this little bit of clarity and then you think you know how can it how can it keep going on you know what what does he have to do to play in the Europa League you know or or the Carabao Cup or whatever it might be, and if we have concerns over his fitness, how's he going to get match fit? If we've you know what's he played 140 minutes so far mm-hmm. of what whatever it might be, nearly a thousand minutes at Arsenal, over a thousand minutes that Arsenal have played. You know, it's um, it's just one of those that you go. There must be more to it than we know. There has to be more to it than we know. I don't know what it is, but. We, we remain slightly in the dark, so we're left to fill the gaps ourselves. I suppose the only thing we learnt is that certainly it seems like Raul, and you'd have to guess the rest of the sort of football hierarchy at the club, seem to be on side with Emery in this. You know, there had been some suggestion of, well, how would they feel about such a valuable asset being used in that way? Mm. But at least publicly, you know, there didn't seem to be any kind of dissent from Sanyahi to, to Emery's decision. Yeah, well, look, you know, it's it's one of those that we're not going to get any more clarity in uh, on until we see the until next Emery's squad. Book. Yeah, until Unai Emery's book. Yeah, oh my <laughs> I have to wait a long time for that. Um, uh, what else? The, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about um, since yeah. last we talked was the um, the Mustafi interview. Yeah, which was quite amazing. I have to say, it was it like was. I didn't necessarily agree with everything Mustafi said. You know, this idea that that things only started going wrong around Christmas 2018, Christmas of last year. You know, I think that's a, a rose tinted version of events from from his point of view. But like the very first question was, Mister Mustafi, are you the second worst defender in the world? It's like what? It was a pretty spicy interview. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who the journalist involved actually was. I must say, and I don't know if that's something stylistically that you know that that they do. But it was unusual. It's unusual to hear a footballer talk with such honesty, really, Mm. uh, and without any of those cliches. I mean, it happens, but usually when players are retired, you know, we're we're waiting for Arsene Wenger's book to know what he really thinks, because it's when people are kind of out of the game, they have that freedom to speak. I suppose Mustafi, 
it's quite a unique situation, really, because he he must feel a bit like he has nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, yeah. At uh, Arsenal, certainly, the journalist is called Jorn Mein. Right. Uh, with with Spiegel online. Well, he um, didn't pull any punches, let's put it like that. He didn't, and uh, Mustafi didn't, you know, back away from... Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I think as a, as an interview, whether you like Mustafi or you don't like Mustafi, whether you, you agree with what he said or what he didn't say, as an interview, I thought it was absolutely great because a lot of the time, footballer interviews are really, really boring because they're all media trained. They know what to say, what not to say. Um, how to say certain things. And, and what you don't get is any insight into their personality. One of the few that we have seen be very upfront is Hector Bellerin. And he has uh, given more than one interview in which he's spoken about things that most footballers will not touch with a, with a 10 foot barge pole. You know, whether it's, whether it's um, racism, climate change, Catalan independence, you know, he's spoken about um, uh, women's um, reproductive rights and abortion rights and all those kind of things. And nobody else has ever, as far as I'm aware, very few footballers have ever gone there um and that makes it interesting to listen to that person and and i thought this was a really really interesting interview because mustafi was was very upfront very honest and you know i think you're right that that basically he's made it clear and arsenal have made it clear that look we don't want you um while he's here he's doing a job and he will do that job and i think that's absolutely to be respected um, but like, it's not going to really change much about you know what his future holds by being honest in an interview like this. No, I mean his his objective now is basically play well enough in these Europa League games to earn himself a move somewhere, probably as soon as possible, where he can play every week. And and I do honestly wish him luck with that. I do think that the way he has knuckled down and the way he's fronted up in that interview and. You know, maybe he didn't uh, admit as much fault as some fans would like, but at the end of the day, he's a human being and, you know, he sees it differently, inevitably. And I think that's absolutely fair enough. At the end of the day, he's got... He almost has to tell himself the story he has to tell himself to help himself recover from this situation. And uh, I, I thought it was a great interview and I wish... Uh, football was a bit more like that, that there was a bit more of an honest dialogue instead of falling back on sort of these quite tired phrases. Um, and I, and I, it's kind of mad that it had to get to this point for Mustafi to be able to talk like that. But I do think that, uh, I do think that his, I don't think his reputation at Arsenal is ever going to recover, but I think it definitely did him a few favours, actually, uh, his honesty in that situation. And I must say as well, I, I was particularly... Um, amused by the, the thing about the car, the car stopping the traffic. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that stemmed from a tweet from the Canon on Twitter, who is my cousin, who had sort of semi-ironically, I think, posted a, a picture of Mustafi's car blocking the road. And uh, Mustafi cited that as kind of the height of the catastrophe, which shows <laughs> how when you're the man involved, everything can feel feel maybe more pernicious than it's intended to be. Yeah, 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 sure. I thought that was very funny as well, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shows how these things can spiral. Well, exactly, um, or how, like, something that is quite obviously a joke um, can be taken a bit too seriously when you feel like there is a kind of weight of the world upon you or, or criticism mm. or whatever it might be, you know? And look, I think... I think um, 
you know, another interesting aspect of this were people saying afterwards, well, do you feel bad for, for criticizing Mustafi yeah, now? And it's yeah. like, well, no, hang on a second. You know, the fact that he's open and honest in an interview and you, you maybe come away feeling or being reminded, okay, players are human beings, it doesn't mean that criticism of what they do on the pitch is somehow... Uh, fundamentally wrong. I mean, that's why we do what we do, and that's what people want to read. And people don't want to, people don't want to read or listen to us. You know, let's say, let's say um, the Carabao Cup final, or the Carling Cup final, whatever the fuck it was, um, when we played Manchester City, mm. and Mustafi made it was that the clown car cup final. Yeah, your final was called Mustafi made that ridiculous mistake with Aguero. What are we supposed to do when we come on and do a podcast or when you write about it for a blog? Go, yeah, it was a mistake, but don't forget, he is a human being with feelings. You can't do that either. You know, you have to be, you have to be uh, critical, and footballers expect a measure of criticism. As we often say, the line is, you know, when it crosses over into abuse, and obviously, you know, uh, directing messages, you know, straight at him on his social media accounts. Um, telling him what you think of him is really unacceptable on any yeah. level. You know, I think that's true of, of footballers or anybody in, in that way, when you could just sort of not do that. That's the really simple solution. Just don't do it. But to to be to be critical, um, to, to talk about and to debate and discuss a player's performance, a team's performance, we have to be able to do that, whether they're humans or not. When they become androids, in the future, and footballers are just androids, when it's Terminator versus, I don't know, Marvin the paranoid android, um, you know, we can say what we want because they don't have feelings, but there you go. Yeah. And to be honest, even if you can be phlegmatic about it and sort of say, well, you know, he's a human being, mistakes happen, you might be able to do that the first time. But after the tenth time, mm. you know, I think uh, a bit more, you know, concerted analysis is is absolutely fair enough. Um, there we go. Is that part one? Do you that's think? part one. I think it's forty minutes, considering we only got four minutes out of Nico Yanaris. I think we've done quite well. You you let us down, Nico. <laughs> And I don't mean by defecting to China. <laughs> but, uh, OK, let's call that part one and we'll come back with part two, I suppose. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and our Arseblog on the Arseblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arseblog and also on the Arseblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arseblog member on Patreon. If you want to be one, patreon.com forward slash the Arseblog. Just a little one here uh, from there, James. Mm. Uh, it comes from Neil Sieglechner. I think, Sieglech, I, I think. And he says, thoughts on Wenger's upcoming biography. Are you as disappointed as I am that the title isn't Handbrake Off? <laughs> it's apparently going to be called My Life in Red and White. My Life in Red and White. It's a bit, it's a bit like... There must have been something catchier. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, arsonist would have been my choice. <laughs> uh what else? Have you got any other titles for an Arsene Wenger autobiography? It's quite a fun game. Great Expectations. Lovely. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that's taken. Uh, I mean, yeah, my life in red and white. I mean, I Monaco mean, I, was red and white, wasn't it? He's only managed teams that play in red and white, actually. He made that point uh, the other night. So, Oh, really? So Grampus 8? Grampus 8 play in red and white as well. Um so I suppose that limited his, you know, when people say, why isn't he back in management? That that really cut down the amount of clubs. You know, when Newcastle came a-calling, it was never going to happen. No, there was too much too much black and white. Mm. Exactly. Um, my life, so I suppose it makes sense from that point of view, and maybe that uh, suggests that it is going to be, a, you know, not just an account of his time at Arsenal, but a proper autobiography covering a significant spell at Monaco, mm. which I think is incredibly formative, you know, for Arsene Wenger. And a lot of what we became accustomed to with him, I think, you know, was sort of a consequence of what happened there. Yeah. Um, what was the original question? Now that we've got... Oh, it was just basically your thoughts on it. I thought that was quite good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Daniel uh, Keenan on Twitter at Fishgotech79, with all the talk of Arsene's autobiography, what one thing would you ask him if you were the biographer? Well, look, I, I mentioned Park is really high on that list for me. I know it's such a weird sort of cul-de-sac in Arsenal history, but I think that makes me all the more curious about it. Um, we've talked about this before. I mean, there are things that, you know, the summer of 2011, that's a, a hell of a chapter in its own right, isn't it, with Sesk and Nasri and everything that went on there. Um, yeah. I, I, I think I'd think. like to ask him, like, which player... Which player did he expect a lot from, but it never materialised, whether that was a young player yeah. coming through the academy or a young player that he brought to the club from abroad who never quite made the grade or it just didn't happen for for and various why. reasons and, and why that was. And certainly that would be the case with with, with some of the signings. Like who, did, who was it you bought that you thought would be, you know, much better than they actually, than they actually were? Yeah, I mean, Ashavin would be surely one of the more intriguing names on that list in terms of, you know, the talent that he had and mm. the way it didn't quite materialise. And from the young player point of view, I mean, he was so excited about people like, I don't know, Johan Juru, for example, who, you know, has had a very decent career, but not quite at the level that was anticipated. Yeah. And Arsene's eye is so good. You know, he's such an extraordinary eye for talent. Um 
you know, you think of someone like Serge Gnabry, for example, he championed him from his mid-teens and look what he's doing now. Of course, you don't get everyone right, but clearly he's a brilliant talent spot. It'd be interesting to know who delivered against that potential and who didn't and the reasons that happened. Mm. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, there's a bit more distance. I mean, Arsene Wenger's autobiography, let's say, had he written it in the early 2000s, kind of while his rivalry with Sir Alex Ferguson was still brewing, you know, it would have painted a very different picture of that time than what we'll get at this point. So, yeah, I'll be curious to know sort of where the heat and the drama and the tension still lies for Arsene and how he's... You know, there was clearly a lot of pain as well for him in those last few years at Arsenal. I think about his relationship with the media, his relationship with the supporters, and I wonder to what extent that will be visible in the pages. I really am so fascinated. There's not a football book I would rather read, genuinely. Yeah, same. Same. Um, Assuming, you know, I think it, it, it has to be... It has to be... Um... What am I trying to say here? It can't be one of those sort of football books by numbers publications, you know. Um, yeah. And I think about, I think about that amazing interview he did with Lekeep, you know, towards the end of his his time at Arsenal, and mm. you know where he expanded on things beyond the realms of football. It's always interesting to hear him talk about football, but like how how did his philosophies in life or the way that he sees life impact on the way that he he managed and dealt mm. with players or dealt with certain incidents or dealt with with pressure you know would he have done certain things differently um with the benefit of hindsight of course i think many people would but uh you know i think i hope there's that kind of an angle to it like what 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 way did wenger the man influence wenger the manager and vice versa yeah, and he's always had a bit of a knack for social commentary. To be honest, you know, he he he's uh, he begins a lot of sentences with things like "We live in a time where," or you know, yeah, yeah, "We are yeah. now in the world where," and uh, he's often quite prophetic in that way. And his story, sort of culturally, is really interesting. He arrived in a nation as a sort of skilled uh, migrant, effectively in the in the nineties, and at the end of his time with Arsenal and in English football, kind of coincided with. Uh, a rejection of the European continent. So I do think he'll have a lot to say about uh, about everything, really. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope it's not just game by game uh, because he's uh, a more fascinating man than that. And, uh, mm. yeah, I August 2020, you say? Well, I cannot... Yeah. Autumn, autumn, autumn 2020. 2020. Yeah. Okay. Well, we look forward to that enormously. Mm. Um, let's have a question. This question is from... Uh, David Nobbs on Twitter. And David says, assuming you consider Holding to be a first-choice regular for the rest of the season, who would you replace out of Louise and Socrates and which side would you play them on? Because Louise and Holding both appear to prefer being the left-sided centre-back. Uh, yes, they do. Um, it's a good question. My gut kind of tells me... Socrates... Um, you go Socrates? I think so. I think so. But, I, you know, it's such a difficult one because um, we, we have to see Holding get back to the right physical level 
which is going to take a bit of time. You know, he's been out for nine, ten months at this point. Um, and he is coming back and he's obviously working on his fitness and everything else. But but Matt's sharpness and playing regularly has a big impact on a player's form. Um, yeah. I also think with holding, we need to see more of holding in a back four because, you know, all his good runs in the team have come in a back three. You know, that last season, that was the case. And in 2017, leading into the FA Cup final, that was the case. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, I just think, you know, in terms of we're talking about what side he would play on, things like that, I just don't think we've seen really enough of him in a four to, to talk about that with any great surety. Um, or assuredness, rather. So uh, my gut actually says Louise and Holding, but I'm not sure on the orientation of them. I just wonder, you know, with the emphasis of sort of playing out from the back they're, they're the, certainly the two who are more comfortable on the ball um, and I just have a feeling I have a feeling for that as a partnership but I can see it's, it's actually a very difficult one to choose two yeah. between those three I can't choose yet because I think we need to see um, we need to see Holding come back um, we need to see if the others respond to the challenge that holding I mean, presents been to them a little bit better in the last couple of games, I would say, Luis and Socrates. Yeah, they have, um, and, and maybe it's because we, um, you know, we haven't been put under a great deal of pressure, and we haven't also, we haven't also um, caused ourselves too many problems. But um, I'm sure um, you, you saw the tweet from Morbino uh, over the weekend. I did a post about it today on Ars Blog about how. Um, we're allowing 17 shots per game, mm. um, which is really bad. And the sample size, of course, is small. It's eight games, and it is skewed a little bit by the Watford game where they had a whole pile of shots. Yeah. But, you know, I think it, it really does illustrate that the the issues we have defensively are not the sole preserve of our back four and our, our defenders. And that in order to protect them, we need to get the midfield balance right. And I don't think Emery has quite done that yet. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what that statistic is like in two months' time. Because if it's the same, I think we're in trouble. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think you're absolutely right to say that that statistic, not that it takes the heat off our centre halves, but uh, it does show that this is a bigger structural problem. But I think I think most of us, I think, recognise that. Yeah, um, um, I am looking forward to holding potentially being available though, as well as Kieran Tierney and Hector mm. Bellerin. I mean, well, uh, on that, I have a question here from Patty Hughes. Yeah, seventy-seven at Patty Hughes seventy-seven on Twitter. He says, "I think if you take Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson out of Liverpool, they would not be the same team." Do you think Tierney and Bellerin will have the same impact for Arsenal? I've heard you think they won't transform the team, but I believe they will. Where do you stand? I mean, I think they will make us better. I don't dispute that. I just don't think that they're like the magic ingredients that suddenly turn us into a team that looks like it it can control and dominate games because I think that comes from a different part of the pitch. Yeah, I mean, look, they definitely improve that Liverpool team and if you took them out you'd miss them um, but that Liverpool team when you go through the spine of it you know Van Dijk uh, in midfield you've got Fabinho and others up front Firmino Salamane I mean there's a lot going for that team besides mm. the fullbacks. I do think that you know 
if if you do consider holding Bellerin, Tierney and Lacazette all starters in this team, the absence of four players, or let's say the reintroduction of four players to a starting eleven, could have quite a profound effect. You know, that's a good mm. chunk of a team. Um, and I know the question was just about the fullbacks, but I think you know there is something to be said for the fact that we could we could get better with those four introduced. But I feel like what we have is two very exciting attacking fullbacks, and that will be great as long as the rest of the team is able to sort of compensate and give them the freedom mm. to get forward and do those things. You know? Yeah. Yeah, look, and that's what I'm not so sure about. Yeah, well, look, I think they are definitely going to make us better. It's just, you know, my feeling on this is that they should come in and do what the other guys are doing, but do it better, if that makes sense. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're upgrades on what we've already got. It shouldn't have that big an effect on how the team itself plays, mm. you know? So, yeah. We'll see what they can produce, and hopefully they can they can really uh, they can make an impact. Um, It'll be interesting as well to see what kind of partnerships develop on the flanks. I feel like that's an area of the pitch where the partnership between fullback and the guy in front of them is actually pretty important. Um, and you know, having Hector Bellerin back, who knows what that might do for Pepe, for example, or what having Kieran Tierney might mean for Saka or whoever else mm. plays on that left hand side. Um, as for Lacazette coming back and how we accommodate him and Aubameyang, I think that's a, a really interesting debate because Aubameyang, in these first few weeks of the season, I think has absolutely nailed down that and, and shown what a force he can be as a centre-forward. So it will be interesting to see what Emery does with, with Lacazette back I soon. Think I think I have a question here, actually. Yeah, from oh, Clarkey, at Tom Clarkey underscore on Twitter. He says, will a front three of Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe ever realistically work? As much as we love them as individual players, Aubameyang is wasted on the wing and I'm not sure of the solution. I'm not sure either, I have to say, actually. And I, I'm someone who has said many times in the past, I don't have a massive issue with Aubameyang starting from the left wing. You know, I think that it can work and he can still score goals from that spot. Uh, I, I just feel like the way we're playing at the moment, it feels very... We feel very reliant on him uh, in that mm. central area. And maybe when Lacazette came back, that would change. And maybe it wouldn't feel like, well, our, our only chance of scoring a goal is to make sure we've got Aubameyang through the middle. But that is kind of how it seems right now. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's not a front three that feels particularly balanced, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't fill me with confidence that it's going to, click but I wonder if that's just because I'm sort of raised in the Arsene Wenger school of well you need one of those players to be a kind of floating midfielder almost you know? mm. maybe or you need somebody behind that front three to supply them with yeah. the kind of service and, and ammunition that, that they deserve I mean I you know I understand it's a difficult it's a difficult decision to make when it comes to Aubameyang in particular because you know when Lacazette's back he really can only play as, you know, the number nine or the sort of nine and a half, whatever it might be, but as a centre forward. Um, and he is capable of dropping deep and, and getting involved in play. And I think he does that pretty well. I just feel like if we are going to, we've got, no, we don't have to. Emery has to find a way to make it work, mm. I think. Because we've got a, you know, 
a couple of 50, 55 million pound strikers and the club record signing in Pepe, I think they will want to play together. I think they that trio will want the opportunity to try and, and form, uh, I was going to say a partnership, but of course there's three of them, but, you know, to, to form a unit that really works for Arsenal. Yeah. So I think that's another side of things that he, he is going to have to deal with. Well, that goes a long way, wanting to. You know, we saw that with Aubameyang and Lacazette. When Aubameyang came in, it could have been, you know, confrontational. It could have been a battle between them, but there was a clear indication that they wanted to collaborate. They wanted to play together. Mm. And, you know, like Amy's piece about Aubameyang said, he is very much that character. Uh, he's uh, he's a star, but he's a team guy first and foremost. And I think we've seen that. And if that means him starting in an unfamiliar position, I think he's relatively content to do it. Uh, you almost wonder if there's some way of orienting it where, you know, does Lacazette potentially be, be the guy who drops a little bit deeper in a central area and you have Aubameyang and Pepe kind of, you know, as a V kind of coming off that going forward. You know, that feels mm. more... That feels more balanced to me almost than saying, well, it's Lacazette right up top and then you've got Aubameyang playing deeper behind that. Yeah, I mean, maybe the other thing to, to consider is that if we think of them as the, the front three and you think of maybe, you know, uh, Aubameyang on the left yeah. and Pepe on the, the right, if we are talking about our fullbacks coming back to change the way that we play, if our fullbacks are getting forward more, and yeah. delivering more from the final third, what you've got then is Aubameyang and Pepe squeezing into the middle. Three guys in the box. So yeah. you've got three guys in the box and you've got three players who can ostensibly slot into striking roles, central, left and right. And maybe that's the way that he can make it work. Mm. I mean, yeah, and it's interesting when you look at the midfield. I mean, I know it's a bit of a lazy comparison between Arsenal and Liverpool, but... You know, Liverpool sold Coutinho. They don't play Lalana. They don't play Oxlade Chamberlain. Really, you know, they don't have a a number ten, uh, but they don't struggle mm. to create chances. And it's because I guess Firmino is kind of doing both jobs. Um, and I still think Lacazette. You know, maybe not at quite at that level, but I still think he can make a pretty good fist of that. And mm. it is going to need players to compromise a bit for it to work because there's not an obvious way of deploying it where it's like ah well that just makes loads of sense and should click really easily it is a big job for Emery yeah. uh, and it has to it has to happen I don't think you know the Ozil situation is one thing but I think given the fees that we paid for these players given the fact we're looking to extend the contracts of both Aubameyang and Lacazette I don't think we can afford to not have these guys out there on the pitch yeah yeah let's um, have another question yeah Let's. Uh, what does this one say? Okay, this is from Hexenio on the Discord. And Hexenio says to both Andrew and James, if you represented Arsenal but could only do so in a non playing role, what role would you pick? <laughs> um, what role would I pick? That's a really good question. Stadium announcer? I nice. Think, I think I could be a good stadium announcer. Yeah, I think you'd be very good at that. I mean, you wouldn't go for like, you know, you could say, I don't know, manager, technical director. You don't, is it that you don't feel you're qualified? No, look, I, I mean, well, I mean, we're definitely not qualified. Absolutely. 100% <laughs> definitely not qualified for that role. Like I wouldn't. But it might be fun. I wouldn't presume. It would be fun until everyone started to hate me well, that's for, the issue. for the terrible job that I would do. You want a job where you're going to survive the inevitable managerial cut, aren't don't you? You want a job where you're like part of the 
part, you know, you're, you're sort of, uh, I don't know, what's the word? Safe, I guess, yeah. from the fans. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And I think you could you could curry favour with the fans. You know, imagine if I was a stadium announcer and, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, today's Tottenham team, number one, twat. Number yeah. two, wanker. Number three, you know, etc. Number nine, Harry Kane. Boo. Everybody, come on, boo. <laughs> you know, that would be amazing. Think of the fun you'd have in the stadium. You wouldn't last that long in true. the job, probably. I don't know. I don't know. I think I would choose uh, Gunnosaurus. Gunnosaurus. Think, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to get in the suit. You know, you're safe. You're behind the mask, but you're this iconic figure. You can get involved in a touchline fracas. Uh, I, yeah, I would. I think that would be quite good fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to think, oh, I would love to work for, you know, Arsenal. You know, imagine interviewing the manager every week and stuff like that. But you know, I guess when you when you do work for the club, obviously it's a great job, but you are kind of constricted in terms of what you can actually say or get away with. Or uh, you know, I think some of the things we've said on this podcast about certain performances or certain players probably wouldn't fly if we were employees. So. No, no, if it was an official channel, certainly yeah. you would have to moderate your <laughs> moderate your language in, in many ways and, and so, think about saying that. Like, sometimes I feel very sorry for, for Adrian Clark when he's having to do the breakdown. Yeah, and, that's a tough gig and we've had And we've had a really, really bad performance or, or somebody has done something unbelievably <laughs> stupid and he has to say... It wasn't his best moment. Something yeah. like that, you know. <laughs> Not quite sure what he was thinking here. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he does. That, he treads that line very well. Uh, yeah, f- fair play to Adrian. But yeah, that is a that is that can be a tough gig. I think yeah, Gunnosaurus would be quite a fun one. Uh, you're there for all the big occasions. You're in the centre. You're on the pitch. You know, before the match. Yeah, getting high uh, fives from all the players as they as they come in. Exactly. You feel part of it, uh, but you don't have to actually play. Yeah. Um, Plus, you would be kind of anonymous, which would be useful because uh, we have a tweet here from Highbury Fields, who's at Highbury underscore Fields, who said, My wife sat opposite Martin Keown in a Wagamama in Edinburgh and and didn't realise... Uh, that she was sitting opposite him, but noticed straight away when she saw Gunnar Blog in a pub in Highbury yesterday. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh, and you know the worst part of that is I wasn't even a customer of that pub. I was just going in to use the toilet and I'd been caught in the act. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'd styled it out so well, you know. I thought I was like, I've really kept my head down here, no one's gonna notice me. Great. I was just sneak in, use the toilet, sneak out, and I've been outed publicly on a podcast. Did they catch you in the in the bar itself? No, no. I mean, I, to be fair, it's a pub I've been in many times, so I feel like I've earned I've earned that to an yeah, extent. Yeah, know? yeah. You can just sort uh, of slip in, spend a penny, uh, you know, based on all the pounds that you've spent in there in the past. Exactly. Yeah. Seems it seems fair. But I did have to do that a couple of weeks ago in a different pub, and it was a really urgent situation. Where I was like, I desperately need the toilet here, so I snuck into this pub, and I I was on my way to the toilet when the barmaid sort of just shouted out, "Excuse me." Can I help you? Uh, and I was like, "Oh, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quickly use the loo." Uh, and I, and she was like, "Okay, cool." And then you'll be getting a drink. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll just go to the loo uh, first, and then I'll get the drink." And she said, "All right, well, why don't you tell me?" <laughs> and by the, by, I've nearly pissed myself at this point, so it's like genuinely very stressful. Like, why don't you tell me what you want, and then I can have it ready for you when you come out? 
And I was like, uh, oh, so what did you do? Did you get I, a had, drink? I mean, I had a pint. What else could I do? I was like, you've got me. Five pounds that cost me going to the loo there. <laughs> you had a pint, though. You just, you were, surely you'd have a small uh, drink, get an espresso. In for a, or a penny, coffee. in for a pint. I, I, and, and the worst thing is, I went to the loo, drank a pint, left, immediately needed the loo again. <laughs> You have to find a different pub. That's what happens. You have to find a different pub. It's just this endless pub crawl of me spending unnecessary money. Yeah, you go in for a week. Excuse me. Can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) But fair play to that barmaid. She absolutely knew what I was doing and uh, acted accordingly. Well, look, you got to hold your hands up. Got to hold my hands up. Yeah, exactly. So this one, uh, this question comes from Wigan Guna and... You might be able to tell me this because I don't really remember. But Wigan Guna says, currently going through the 89 audiobook by Amy Lawrence, do you think history has been unkind to smudger Alan Smith? The book has reminded me how good he was. Ian Wright's star seems to have eclipsed old smudge and I think he's been forgotten by many fans, which is a shame as I thought he was an excellent striker. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he was an excellent striker. Was he striker? very good? I mean, he yeah, was I mean, before I, my time. I think he, he spoke himself. We uh, did a podcast with him last I can't remember when it was um, he had a book out not too long ago Alan Smith Arsecast let's see when it was August 2018 um, so and he released his yeah, so it's episode 489 of the podcast and in it he talks himself about how when Ian Wright arrived it sort of had an impact on him as a goal scorer, and then he got some injuries as well. But he was. He was a really, really good striker. Um, came from Leicester, obviously played a big part in us winning the league in 89, scored that classic goal um, to win us the, the European Cup Winners' Cup. Great with his head, brilliant hold-up play. Um, and, yeah, maybe he has you know, been eclipsed a little bit by, by some of the players who've, who've come since. But um, um, how many goals did he score? Um, Question. I, I I remember you used to often draw a comparison, maybe between Olivier Giroud and Alan Smith in terms of style. Is that is that is that right? Uh, I mean, certainly in terms of um, the the headed goals that he scored. Yeah. You know, he was really brilliant in the air, um, and you know, great touch for a big man. All that kind of stuff as well. You know, he was a better technical player than I think um, people realised. 115 goals. 115 goals. He scored for Arsenal. That's a lot of goals. Yeah. That is a lot of goals. Um, Go through the YouTubes, guys. Let's, uh, yeah, have an Alan Smudger-Smith celebration. But, I mean, obviously, as well in 89, I, I suppose even in that, it's kind of eclipsed by Michael Thomas somewhat, isn't he? So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, of course, I mean, yeah, the guy who scores a winning goal, but only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve players have scored more goals for Arsenal than Alan Smith, and and wow, lots yeah. of them um, are from the quite distant past. You know, the yeah. only contemporary players really who've scored more are Bergkamp, Van Persie, Ian Wright, and Thierry Henry. So it's not a bad company to no, keep it. Not at all. Actually, speaking of Ian Wright and, and Thierry, uh, Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp, um, AFC Australia, who's at Arsenal AUS on Twitter, says, What were your thoughts after watching the Ian Wright Bergkamp video, particularly the bit where they spoke about what they thought of today's Arsenal in comparison to the Arsenal of their playing days? Do you know what? My thoughts were I feel very fortunate that, uh, you know, I, I experienced my sort of Arsenal adolescence and mm. really fell in love with this team in a period where Ian Wright and Dennis Bergkamp 
and some of the other players at that era were on the pitch together. And I, I, I miss those days enormously. It, it actually really made me miss Highbury desperately. Yeah. Um, and I walked past Highbury uh, yesterday. Actually, on your I, way to going to the toilet, <laughs> I was just knocking on the door of Ivory House. Like, excuse me, please. I don't. I know you don't know who I am. But I desperately need the toilet. There's like 700 apartments there now. You just ring on one of the bells. Yeah. Excuse me, please. I'm an Arsenal <laughs> fan. May I You're please use your? You're down my leg all through the marble halls. Uh, I, uh, and 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 it really rammed that point home to me. You know, look, there's a lot to love about the modern Arsenal, and of course, the Burkamp and Wright thing principally made me think about those players. But the setting and the stadium was really special to me. And it, it is sad to think, mm. you know, we won't have that back. So I definitely felt a big pang of, of nostalgia for, for Highbury, among other things. What about you? Uh, I just really loved it. I loved the... the I just loved how the two of them got on. Uh, obviously, you're talking about two of the greatest players in, in Arsenal's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, look, it, it was brilliant, I think... Um, Right, he brought out some things in Bergkamp that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise, you know. Um, but just, yeah. yeah, amazing to think that these guys were were playing for us and doing what they did for us. And uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on Ian Wright's YouTube channel. It is, you know, just a fantastic watch. Sit down 40 minutes, make a cuppa, grab a Kit Kat, whether it's got foil on it or not, and, you know, <laughs> enjoy. It really is. It was just brilliant. It was a great piece of... of um, Content is the wrong word, but Arsenal-related nostalgia or or whatever it might be. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there these days. Um, A lot of people are making a lot of stuff, but this is one of the best things I've seen in in absolutely ages. It's fantasy... Uh, fantasy content, if, I, if you'll forgive that word, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's kind of stuff of dreams, really, to see them sitting down and, and reminiscing like that in Burkamp's home. Uh, and what did you make of their comments about the modern Arsenal um, I'm not sure I really thought about them too much, to be honest, because I was too caught mm. up in what was going on with the with the nostalgia. The haze of nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like, kind I of think, the same. Yeah, there's a way, obviously, you're going to look back and you're going to think about your own time at the club and what, what, what we did and what we achieved and, you know, winning cups, winning Premier League titles, going a season unbeaten. You know, those were incredible achievements with an incredible team. So I guess it's easy to look back and sort of say, well... Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we were a bit more like that? But I think as well we have to take into account that there were, you know, circumstances at play at that moment in time, as I've said here before. You know, for a club like Arsenal to have, um, at the same time, four of the best players in Europe, you know, it's it's sort of unprecedented. It's unprecedented. We don't we don't have that now. It's hard to think how we're ever going to have it again. And in Bergkamp, right, Perez Henri. You had four of the best players in the world at that time all playing for us with other great players too. You know, people like Saul Campbell at the top of his game, probably not far behind that level for for a period of time. You know, we've talked about this, you know, countless times, but... Ashley Cole, yeah. I mean, some absolutely world-class players, yeah. Yeah, Um, but it's great. It's great. Just go and watch it. It's great, and we're lucky that we have that, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Rusky Adam on the Patreon says, Hmm? do you guys think... Emmy Martinez has what it takes to push Leno out of the starting eleven for the Premier League at any point this season. He's looked solid so far and had a great loan out at Reading too. I don't know. There's the honest answer because I haven't seen 
enough of Emmy Martinez. You know, I had some doubts coming into the season simply because of how little he'd played, you know, in his career. He's 26, 27 years of age and he hasn't played regularly, but he had a good loan spell at, at Reading last season. He's looked very good in the, in the Carabao Cup, but I still think it's a bit too early to make that kind of a judgment on him. I think Leno has been very good, but I also think Martinez has been good. And uh, I wrote about this yesterday on the blog that, that having the two goalkeepers um, is a real positive of this season. Mm. I think I think Martinez is capable of pushing Leno or certainly providing more competition than you know someone like Ospina might have, for example. Um, and it's great to see him make some progress. He was away with Argentina. He didn't play for Argentina during the international break, but he did get the call-up. So that shows you that there is there's something going on with him. Um, but as to whether he can win a place in the team on a regular basis, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... It feels like, you know, it's I why would Leno lose his place? Yeah. It would be either an injury or a very serious loss of form. A serious dip in form. Serious and, dip in form. I mean, I think we you wrote about this, didn't you? I think that we had a message from someone saying talk about Leno more on the podcast. I mean, I think he 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 is very good and has been very good and you know, the money that we paid for him which looked expensive at the time feels quite cheap right now I think mm. in terms of what he's doing for this team so I don't think it's a question you know in the past we've had number ones who maybe looked a bit vulnerable or where we were thinking it'd be good if we could get someone else in I don't think that's the situation now I think we just have a, a good number one and a, a capable number two and I think given our commitments across two competitions I think that's right but I'm not sure I see Martinez edging Leno out in the Premier League I think it would take something quite dramatic for that to happen, or an injury, as you say. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Let's hope that that doesn't happen. Um, right. Well, look. I think, given this is the interlull, and uh, we're now, you know, a good chunk of the way into this podcast, I think we can we can probably call it quits there, can't we? Yeah, that I reckon we've done, we've done a good shift. Yeah, yeah, we've done a good shift. And thank you to everybody for listening. If you are an Arsblog member on Patreon, watch out a bit later this week. James and I will be doing another episode of the Waffle Podcast, in which we talk mm. about anything that isn't football. Um, when when better to do that than during the interval? Exactly. So that'll be coming for you a bit later in the week, probably towards the weekend rather than midweek. Um, but you can join us for that. Of course, we will have an Arscast on Friday looking ahead to our game next week um, because when football returns at the weekend, we've got to wait because we're not playing until Monday night. Uh, against Sheffield United, and uh, that means our next Arscast Extra will be Tuesday, Tuesday of next week. Of course. Um, yeah, more Monday Tuesday, night football. 22nd. I know, we've got to wait ever so long. <sighs> so annoying. Uh, so long, annoying. It's a long time to wait to lose to Sheffield United, I'll tell you that. Well done. That's uh, <laughs> There is the uh, glass half full uh, outlook that you are renowned for. So. <laughs> Um, right. Well, in the meantime, of course, you can fill the glass with your own wee. Um, True. Which True. is good. Save you having to buy a drink you didn't really want, but there you go. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll leave it there. <laughs> Thank, thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.